Hi everyone, welcome back to What the Fintech, your Fintech Feel Good Show. What the Fintech is the news and information platforms covering the latest Fintech development in Hong Kong, Singapore, China and Asia. Join us every week for an engaging conversation with various Asian tech figures to discuss about entrepreneurship, emerging technology, customer engagement and partnership. Before starting this interview, feel free to share your questions in the comment sections, like and share. And today we have Haywood and Kevin from Binary. Hi guys, how are you? Hey Matty. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks. Definitely good to see you. Uh, I bumped to Calvin many times on many events in Hong Kong. I would I bumped to you to different uh, entrepreneurs events as well. So it's great to have both of you here today and uh, discuss about your entrepreneurship uh, uh, journey, but also the company you have created, both of you. Awesome. Uh, before we start this interview, maybe we can um, just have a quick introduction of both of you one by one. Uh, know who you are, what you have done before, if you grew up in Hong Kong, and what was your career before you become an entrepreneur? Sure. Um, I'll start first. Yeah, so I uh, I was born and raised in Hong Kong, and uh, born and bred here. I, I spent a little time in uh, Holland, uh, but most of my time was here. Uh, had the international school background, and, uh, and went to university here, because I, I wanted to expand my career in this part of the region. I think I graduated around like 11 to 12 years ago. And back then, uh, startup wasn't too hot yet. You had the kind of Facebooks, et cetera. But it was still like, hey, going to corporate, going to consulting, banking. And and I ended up joining a management training program in a company called British Telecom, BT. And that's where I kind of met Calvin because he was my customer. We'll get into that later. But yeah, I, I, uh, was, uh, I was there for eight years um, doing enterprise sales. And that is huge contrast to the kind of customers I'm dealing with today, because back then was purely fortune 50 companies. And now, you know, we're talking to small businesses every single day. So yeah, I mean, I, that, that's my background. Yeah. What about you? Um, I, you know, I've been working in the industry for nearly 17 years while I served at numbers of companies like airlines, uh, the companies like in Hong Kong and Cafe in Hong Kong Express. I'm doing like architectures for the companies. And typical, I work for like in numbers of industry, bankings, aviations, uh, you know, gaming in UK. I studied in Hong Kong and when I was small, in, I was like sent to Toronto for like, um, for, for, you know, for kind of like, not, not elementary, like, Grades, grade seven, grade eight, grade nine, those things. And then I head back to Hong Kong for my studies. Then end up, I end up here and doing like studying binary with Hayward. Okay, cool. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask everyone is like, um, being an entrepreneur is often synonym of uh, a turning point in your life. Uh, what pushed you to become an entrepreneur? What was your experience? Is it any frustration, a lack of services, or did you see uh, just an opportunity and... Uh, you trust the mission to deliver a service who can, you know, uh, meet the um, the gap that uh, is missing on the on the on the on the chain of the decision errors and and the partner there. Yeah, I, I think our approach to entrepreneurship a uh, bit of different paths. Um, he, I think, as Calvin can talk about it later, he had his own uh, other startup before, but mine was pretty much um, eight years of corporate. I think the. The kind of politics, you know, management structure, um, dealing with enterprise customers that was getting very complex of RFPs and compliance. And I've learned a lot there. And um, but I've kind of found out more about myself as I've grown up in terms of, hey, I, I, I want some quick wins <laughs> as opposed to like a sales cycle of like two to three years. And I think 
you know, at the start, we tried to look at some side hustles, looked into the whole drop shipping back in 2016, uh, did a, some sort of other side hustles that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And I think also it would be, li- I would be lying to you if, if we were like, hey, you know what? The bookkeeping is a big problem. We really want to solve it. I mean, I, I didn't even I have no interest in accounting or bookkeeping at the start and look what we're doing now. So I think it's not a very predictable journey. And I think that is the nature of entrepreneurship. Okay, okay. And you, Kevin? Um, I was working one of a startup before in Singapore uh, called New Money. Okay. Uh, not you guys. Not sure any of you guys heard of it. We are one, we should be one of the first using Bitcoin as a remittance in 2013 to 15 in the regions. But at that time, I decided to quit and going back to corporate because something doesn't really worked out there at that time. Okay. Well, after a corporate life, I decided, okay, all right, there's a... There's a pain point in the market or on bookkeeping, especially uh, when I was serving one of the one of the um, uh, CPA networks and with seventy seven countries present. So there's a plenty of problems in the CPA firms, um, especially uh, they're quite manuals, especially old school, old school CPA, right? Then I was thinking, is there any way we can walk out to do some automations, let's say using AI to do some predictions for the accounts for you know, for receivables, helping SME to understand their business more in, in more in more deep dive in a way using technologies. That's why we started this company, Binary, together with Hayward, in a way. Uh, the first thing we need to cater is like automation, automated some of the input process. The second thing is doing prediction with uh, with their financial data industry behaviors, you know, trying to do more prediction, helping SME to understand their finance in a way. So I think... It's tough to start a business, but I think there would be a long way to go for us. But um, I would see there's a tons of opportunity in the market, especially on, on, on accounting, automation, this industry. Interesting. I also have the same year experience than you. I was in the banks. I went to startups for a couple of years, and I went back to corporate and working for a bank right now. So right. Um, what I'm missing is maybe the last step you did restart a company again and really become an entrepreneur. But uh, I can, uh, I can, you know, uh, see myself in your in your story as well. So, guys, you speak about creating the company binary, but how it comes to you? You were friends before. <laughs> you mentioned you are customers and a, and a provider yeah. of solutions. How both of you came to that idea and why you did you start this company? So uh, back in BT, I had to look for new accounts. And uh, at the time, Calvin was at a company called Hong Kong Express. And uh, that's where I approached um, Calvin. Hey, let's talk. We got a solution. And I think I managed to sell you something. I'm not, I, don't, I forgot. But in the end of the day, we didn't talk for like four to five years. Uh, but I think we kind of knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. Okay. And, and then somehow, I think Calvin got in touch uh, because of his role at that CPA network. And... I would say the kind of difference between us where we complement each other is he's definitely more of the visionary and I'm more of the hustler. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think you need the you need, you need both. To, you need both. both. You need both. If we're both visionaries, I don't think anything will get it, done. It, it, will, <laughs> it, will, it will never work out in a way. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, no, that that that's that's how you know he tried digital transformation within the CPA firm. And as industries goes, they're one of the most archaic um, industries. And I think we had to use a startup um, methodology to, to try and make some change. Okay, interesting. Um, so you start with really the bookkeeping first, or you start with uh, so some solutions. How did you approach your program there and, and yeah. create your first product? So um, we, we saw what's in the market first. And we saw in the U.S. there's two companies doing this pretty well. And one is called pilot.com. 
shout out and one's called bench.co both backed by sequoia stripe series d companies i'm like hey what, what what's happening in asia and um that, that's how that's how we took the opportunity and we're both not accountants so why would a random company trust us <laughs> But I think I think it's finding out like the pain points. And we kind of saw two trends in the market that helped us build this in the first place. First trend, there's too much accounting software in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of business owners that don't have the time or necessarily the financial or accounting literacy to learn how to do the books. And generally, the software appetite of self-service in Asia is very different than the U.S., here, people love services. They don't want to learn softwares themselves. And I just think that's the nature of the culture here. And that's the first trend. Too much accounting software. Okay, what do you do? If I don't want to manage my own books using accounting software, I go find services. But the second trend is we see that CPA firms don't want to do bookkeeping anymore because it's low margin, it's manual labor. They want to make more money per hour, their lifestyle business, by audit, advisory. So with these two trends together, we're like, hey, you know, we can do something. Do you want to supplement on this? Um, you know, I took example when when I was in a CPA firm. You see those like kind of people, laborers putting in the invoice every day. It's like a robot there, looking line by lines, putting in there. Why don't we do something by automation by using OCR, using um, using OCR, extracting data and putting it in the right accounts? Well, of course, we need to train our system first in a way. Of course, we started in a way that uh, we do. We started from extractions, mm-hmm. and we put in a set of accounts on training on uh, using machine learning and uh, robotics, uh, robotics, robotics process automation (RPA), so that it can automatically categorize the account by automations. But it technically it can replace the human job when they extract the numbers of things correctly. We still need human beings to to look into what they extracted to train the system so that we're not taking body taking out anybody's job in, in here at the moment. But it will help the firms to become more efficient. Typical in Hong Kong in a CPA or globally, I'll take an example in Singapore and Malaysia, they would take around for, for you know, if they put in the invoices for one invoices they would take around two minutes or maybe even one minute for less. Well for us it's like ten seconds. Scrape on everything, put in the system, confirmed by human being, done, next. So we believe this product could really help on the CPA side as well as helping uh, our customers. Because they just simply snap the pictures on the mobile apps and it's uploaded by and processed by our, our engines and confirmed by our, our support team in, 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 in Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. And I at the start, you know, we had. Um how we reached out is I, I think we sent emails out to people we think faces the problem of bookkeeping um, as an issue. And it's kind of finding the customer persona. Mm-hmm. And I think that initial hypothesis, we hit it right. And usually it is young companies, newer startups, and typically high volume transaction startups. So let's just take an example. If I'm a consulting company and I rake in a million, two million, where I send only two invoices a year, you don't need a bookkeeper. But if you're uh, on Shopify or Stripe selling a SaaS business, you have a lot of transactions. And we think that you know integrating with the likes of a cloud accounting software, yes, it sounds nice from a marketing perspective, but there's still a lot of buttons to click to fully close your books. So yeah, we, we send emails out. Hey, I'm an aspiring entrepreneur. I think this is a problem you're facing. Can we chat or not? And, uh, and that's, I think, how we got the first 10 customers. 
Oh yeah, so the cold email works. Cold, yeah. 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 Cold <laughs> email works. Because I see like a lot of advertising for cold email solutions right now. On, on yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think you put in the junk. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you start your your first solutions, you get your ten first customers. How did you interact with them? Did you do some iteration? Did you ask for feedbacks? Did you did they suggest some uh, um, acts of uh, improvement or like new features that they would like to have? Yeah, so so the first uh, few customers we had, we did it completely manually because we wanted to learn the current process and the hard way. Yeah, the hard way. <laughs> the hard way. And then reverse engineer um, by doing some product management, making some mockups on Figma, showing the customer, hey, you know, like, are you happy with the, it? Yeah, they're happy with this. But in the end of the day, what we found out is uh, for a lot of the customers in Hong Kong specifically, they don't really care about the software. Um, you talk about a restaurant, they want their books on time. They care about the P&L and balance sheet. <laughs> so, so we place less emphasis on a UI UX at the start. But, um, but we, we use softwares like usertesting.com to, to get feedback on the product. And, and that's how we started. Very cool. Um, and uh, from this experience, how did you improve the solutions after this? Because you say like at the beginning, no UI UX. And after this, I'm sure now you have it. Yeah. <laughs> so did you prioritize based on the feedback you got or maybe by... Uh, doing some run with them i don't know like uh we, we, we kind of sit with the customers okay this is that fine is that it's a ui ux look fine it's function look fine anything you suggest that we're trying to put in the roadmaps because we won't be able to satisfy everyone in a very short period of time we need to justify the function what need function need to be implemented into systems because they they will be time cost we call them tnm at time and materials so that we really work out the time and materials and what customer really needs example uh, there's a tons of customers before we don't have that expensive features right then there's a tons of customers let's say a majority of our customers like 50% or 60% asking oh, do we have that expensive features so we think Okay, majority 60% asking for it. Then, okay, all right, we're going to put that program, put that in place, getting all the expensive features out with approval matrix there to be implemented in the system in, a, in one or two months' time. Because it will take, we, we still have a development cycle need to follow, right? But the key point is to building functions perfectly for customers, let them to do beta tests, uh, allow them to give feedbacks, providing any ideas, providing uh, feedback. No, providing, they provide feedbacks which are implemented in the systems at the back as fast as we can if we really need to do it we can spring it up in two weeks but we still need to go through that process of testing yeah and i want to supplement on that is uh, find the super users and the super users will definitely complain the most but i think we that that's a good thing in return and you know in return we we give them look you don't have to pay for the first six months we really just cherish the feedback here and uh and in the end of the day um for because the the thing for us is we're not pure SaaS. In the end of the day, we are a productized service, being our first product, and that's that's I think that's even tougher because you're kind of managing the SaaS at the same time you have operations, and then from a managing the business perspective, your your unit economics is completely different than just looking at your daily active user and monthly active users. So I think from that perspective, it, it kind of teaches us how much time to put in UI UX, how much time to improve the service quality. If you know what I mean, efficiency yeah. aspect of our of the support team in a way. So, from your t- first ten customers to 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 now, 
how did you grow with the company as a human, as an entrepreneur, but also as a team and as a solutions? Yeah, so uh, we started uh, two of us, and then now I think we have around 30 full-time headcounts. Um, we started during COVID, so it was a blessing and also uh, not, not a blessing. Oh, I forgot the word. But uh, in terms of now, the team is distributed in four countries, uh, Hong Kong, Malaysia, uh, India, and Egypt. Okay, oh, Egypt as well. Yes, Egypt. <laughs> we got that's, why, that's why I make a trip to Egypt. <laughs> interesting story about that. Um, but essentially, we're 30 people, and half the team are engineers, and the other half are accountants. And currently, uh, we service for uh, customers in around 10 countries around the world. Very cool, very cool. And in terms of um, demographic of the customers, do you have like mostly food and beverage? Do you have mostly e-commerce platforms? Do you sure. have like some sh shops? Uh, so to, to split the segmentation... 20% of our customers are quite high-tech, um, usually high-volume transactions, SaaS businesses, or, um, or you know, usage-based pricing businesses. And, uh, and I would say the latter are all brick-and-mortar businesses wanting to go online. So FMB, for sure. FMB, not necessarily when it comes to the sales side, because the POS does it quite nice, but it's on the accounts payable side. And interestingly, for FMB, it really depends on your cuisine that you serve. Because if you're a hot-pot place... You're, you can imagine how much types, how the diversity of ingredients you buy versus if you're a bar mm -hmm. and you keep buying the same thing. So different industries or different cuisines have different pain points. So F&B and trading is definitely one of our big, um, big customer sets for the non-tech sector. Okay, and this is true for all your markets, or is it true for, for example, Hong Kong and Singapore? Um, it is true for all markets, I would say, because why we why we know that is we strictly focus on bookkeeping. So accounting firms uh, like working with us because we don't really look into tax or audits because that's not our expertise, and we got to focus as a startup. So it's quite homogeneous, and we do see this pain point everywhere. Uh, during your growth, did you partner with other platforms? Like, for example, there is some uh, maybe a cloud solution that you're using a lot and leveraging on it? Yeah. Um, we pretty much have a host on Google Cloud and AWS because we do a multi-cloud strategy in a way. Because um, we're serving 10 countries, right? Example, um, there's some kind of like local, local requirements regulatory requirements to be sorting financial data locally within the countries. Indonesia is one of them. So uh, we need to spin up the, the, the some kind of like coverage in, in, in Indonesia with that region, with you know, those states that we covered it. In Europe as well, uh, according to GDPR, we need, spring, we need to put in the data within Europe. So so that's why we are quite on heavy, heavily on cloud and then we host it like nearly everywhere. But we follow the strictest uh, compliance requirements as we can because we, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have any data leakage or anything. Or being hacked, so so we do our very best in a way. We do penetration every every three months, and then we do try to implement two seven zero one ISO two seven zero one uh, within within another six months. So so there's a tons of things to be to be done if to protect the platforms quite well. The yeah. data encryption as well. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Mm. And also in terms of actual partners, uh, because I, I think at the start we were going quite direct to the customer, but it's not very scalable. So we had to leverage on some channel partners that really uh, worked well with us. And I think one of them would be KPay, for example, in Hong Kong. So they're a very up-and-coming um, POS uh, startup. And they have over 10,000 uh, FMB retail um, outlets. So they're one of our biggest channel partners. Yes, I already know and uh, very big here now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, I don't know if you've um, interviewed uh, Genie. Genie. 
Gmail.co. Victor and Ray. Yeah, yes. So they're also one of our channel partners too. Okay, okay. Inter- oh, yeah, yeah, it's true because you do uh, enrich information data Correct. to, uh, yep. to companies, yep. yes. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, how do you consider yourself compared to the competitors you have? Maybe like some people can compare you with other services um, uh, delivering certainly like the same services and you or maybe differently. So how do you see the difference with your competitors? How you make yourself a bit like, you know, unique on the value proposition? Sure. I think... Um a lot of people in Hong Kong, I can say, are comparing us to Sleek or Awesome. And I would say Sleek and Awesome, um, they are doing more full services. So in terms of incorporation, company secretary, bookkeeping, uh, your, your visas, etc. But we're really, focused, we're really focused on the bookkeeping aspect. And what that means is I would say we get more complex customers when it comes to bookkeeping, but that's also because we want to attract more complex customers as opposed to doing um, ma- like more mass market, I would say, that that they are doing. And I think the approach towards Hong Kong uh, would be a bit different. So maybe we would partner with more local associations here, maybe because both company culture is a bit different. Mm-hmm. So the go-to-market strategy is a bit different. And uh, I think there's enough uh, market wallet share to, to, to the share between. Definitely the cake is big here. Uh, <laughs> when I was looking at um, how people are doing their accounting here, a lot of people are still doing it via Excel. And I was really surprised. And when I look at the data from the different software, I thought that most of the software are still desktop software, so not connecting to the cloud. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, like here you have a lot of reseller. You don't have, like, people dev- definitely delivering the cloud solution here. So... There is no incentive for them to move it over. push for the cloud, yeah. But when they when they feel the pain, they will know. Yeah. <laughs> of course, when the, when the computer hard drive breaks down, then then they definitely know what happened. All the all data will fly off. And and how did you approach your growth? Because you start in Hong Kong, so your growth now is in, as you mentioned Singapore, Malaysia, and also Egypt, right? So how did you start your growth overseas? What was the strategy there when you choose to go to Singapore, for example, or Malaysia? Um. I- one of the strategies is uh, we had investors from the U.S. Uh, we had investors from Singapore and Malaysia, as well as Hong Kong. Okay. And uh, we actually, because we, startups is definitely one of the personas that we work with. So we approached our investors as channel partners, as well as investors. Be like, hey, you know what? You should, as part of your SOP, check out your portfolio company's monthly uh, financials. And we got a pretty good solution. So uh, why don't we work together? And that's kind of how we started, uh, working with other countries. And, and then the rest is SEO and inbound, I guess. Okay, okay. And I know that both of you are going quite often to, to Malaysia. So, I mean, the teams there should be big or maybe your plans there should be also interesting, no? Mm, yeah. You want to talk about Malaysia? You, you go ahead. I think Malaysia for us is uh, very critical um, because that's our gateway into Southeast Asia. And the, we currently have a team of around 12 people there. Okay. And uh, we incorporate it there. And it's, it's, it's quite... You know, uh, first hire for us was actually our head of ops, uh, Kenny, in Malaysia during COVID. It took me two years to finally meet him in person, <laughs> and <laughs> I think I think that was uh, that was quite. I was very I'm very proud of the team because they're servicing Hong Kong customers, which they have completely no knowledge of, and and service servicing quite traditional businesses here. Are they comfortable? You know. Um, working with a Malaysian uh, and, and and these things like I think like COVID just brought down a lot of barriers that traditionally we had and I think that's really cool. Uh, what keeps you busy right now because we speak about a lot of uh, bookkeeping maybe you are developing new features for the bookkeeping solutions maybe you are developing new solutions uh, complementing uh, the bookkeeping services that you have 
Do you, are you planning to deliver a new project that you can maybe disclose or share a bit with me? We're trying to deliver something like on um, on helping SME to know that you know their their you know their business performance. We're using some kind of models by by HMA called alternative credit scorings. It's like literally you can put that into SME financial uh, to understand to let SME to know how the banks or how the regulatory looking at their finance in a way. So we're trying to put that product in place. But it's really tough, right? Well, well, that paper is like only pointing out 70 matrix there while we're looking at more more broadly. Uh, we, we're trying to look into 200 data points into that. That's quite complicated. Because you've got to be putting in industry behaviours, you're going to be putting in uh, uh, the average spending. There's a number of like ETL processes we extract, transform, uh, learn processes we've done over there. So, so we're heavily working on that product, but I think it's going to be out quite soon. If I'm not mistaken, in, in end of Q1 or starting Q2, we are having a beta launch with our customers. And of course, as I mentioned, right, compliance, we're working on numbers of re-rams in the platforms, making it more bulletproof. So we are, on tech side, we are quite, uh, quite busy in a way. Okay, okay. Um, what you just mentioned about the uh, alternative data credit scoring is interesting because most of the bank today, they are like really interesting about those kind of models. Some of them are a bit more um, risk-taken and they want to, you know, do the leap of faith and others are more like, oh, let's see and we don't want to be the first one. So do you have a lot of interaction also with traditional um, uh, financial services or banks here? Um, we do. We're speaking to two banks at the moment. Um, I um, Under NDI, I don't Really, yeah, yeah, I can't worries. really mention the names. Sorry for that. But we're working quite closely to develop something for them. No, we're not developing, trying to, you know, kind of in the terms, trying to work with them to see what they needed. Because so we're developing a model, so algorithm on, like, on, on, on monitoring the, the whole set of accounts is quite different than, than a, 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 a traditional lending approval process. Well, that lending credit scoring has to be coming from the banks. It's not coming by us. Or if we have more data to be interacted on the behaviors, we can help the you know the banks to understand the the, the behavior of our customers that they are legit customers in a way. Um, the name of this podcast is what the fintech, and I love to speak about collaboration between like company like yours, you know, disrupting an entire industry, collaborating also with traditional financial institutions. Do you think like sometimes it's really challenging for you now to work with them, or did you see like them really being curious and? you know, like they want to achieve with you something. I think this comes back to me and Calvin's experience in the enterprise world uh, over the past 10 years. And uh, I think we have an understanding of how to navigate within a commercial institution, especially in a Fortune 100. Each person there has their own incentives, own KPI. Yes. How do we how do we satisfy that? Uh, and, uh, and then also, like, respect your uh, procurement process, your compliance, quick wins, <laughs> stakeholder management. I mean, the yeah. list goes on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, we, we're embracing it because we know it's necessary and the best interest for our company, for sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions I like to ask all the entrepreneurs coming here is also, like, how did you grow your company? Uh, did you... In, create some values that you try to share with every new employees coming to your company? How do you make sure that the values, especially when it's the team is overseas, yeah. uh, you know, like uh, uh, share with them and also like the team is going to the direction you, env you envision, right? Yeah, I, I think every time we hire, it's kind of based on three uh, pillars. Um, we're looking for someone super curious and uh, super, one super energetic and also like to believe what we're doing is meaningful to society. 
And I think based on those three, we, we have a pretty rock, uh, you know, awesome team. And one thing that I think um, that we foster quite well in the company is results orientated. I don't care if you work in a beach, you work anywhere. As long as you're, you're not necessarily putting in the hours, but you know the outcome to make yourself successful, which in turn makes the company successful. And I think me and Kelvin align on, look, if you take care of your team, the team will take care of your customers. And, and we really believe in that uh, value. Very cool, very cool, very cool. And um, is this, there is any value that you you like to share a lot with anyone? Like they can, you know, uh, for example, big corporates, every time they say, oh, all value are there. You go on the website, you see the values. Sure. And people know what are the values. Do you have the same approach for your company or it's totally like a different? Um, I, I think I'll say more from a sales culture in terms of the company. I think, I think, Every salesperson, uh, you're facilitating a buying uh, decision, right? You're you're not really pushing something down someone's throat. And I think for us, we our sales culture, it's like, look, you know, you either get them to say yes fast, or even get them to say no faster. Like, let's not waste anybody's time. And I think our culture is quite quite direct. It's not suited for everybody. But also, you know, as startups, we have limited capital, limited yeah. time, so we have to be, you know, be be quite be quite black and white in terms of this, and and that's the culture we foster. But complemented with the working flexibility and the results orientation, I think it's a pretty good balance. And we have also the culture in digital transformation: fail fast, but uh, fail uh, fail but fail fast, right? <laughs> but for tech, we we quite we quite. We quite, you know, follow the process on because we we pretty much set up the process. So everyone will have their ticket. Everyone will have a sprint to follow. Or maybe we got to be. If we have questions, if we have trouble, say it out quickly, mention it quite quickly. Then we will know what happened. We're going to help you on it. So so I always tell the same. We are not alone. You are not alone. Well, we walk together. There's a journey for us to walk walk together in a way all the way. Perfect. Perfect. Um, do you have any plans for the company except the product we discussed at the beginning? But do you have any plan to extend your teams as well overseas in the coming six months, one year? Yeah, so we're looking to uh, raise our next round of fundraising. And the use of funds there is to actually grow our team in terms of uh, sales and tech development. So because we're working with uh, more commercial banks and also some trade finance companies, um, that has more deep tech expertise where we need to enlarge our technology headcount. At the same time, um, right now, Honestly, our sales team and myself, we're going all over the place. Channel sales, enterprise sales. And I think we need to structure that a little bit, bring in some SDRs, AEs. Um, so it's so, so a proper structure. Very interesting. And for you? Um, pretty much um, on technology and engineering, I'm going to be putting more resources on security parts because we, we pretty much, right, I'm one of the guys looking after security there, right? There's two guys looking after that. I think we will need someone to be overseeing those pictures there security, uh, development, operations. So we've got to spring up the teams in, in different different uh, different you know different parts. Then we can kind of like um, do things more quicker and everyone will have their uh, job and role to be defined quite clearly and deliver things uh, nicely. Okay, okay. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Unfortunately, the time is running out and we have already like a finish uh, most of the uh, this interview so um, i'm really happy to see you today here um maybe in the future we can do another episode when you have successfully raised your series a and also uh, yeah. deliver your credit scoring uh, um, um, product or application yeah. with the banks but it was a pleasure for me to have both of you here today thank, thank you, you thank you very much thank you very okay. much see you soon see you